Hello and welcome to Instant Transmission, a podcast where we discuss everything Dragon Ball and what petty wish would you make with the Dragon Balls. Tonight we get ready to wrap up the Red Ribbon Army saga as we discuss and review episodes 58 through 68 in Dragon Ball. The excitement kicks up as we meet deadly new villains, meet iconic new characters, and come to the conclusion of the Red Ribbon Army. I'm your host, Dayton, and once again, I'm joined by my co-host, Todd. Hi! And just to reiterate, if you haven't been following, this is a continuation of our Dragon Ball series review. So we highly recommend making sure that you're all caught up before jumping into this one. And with that out of the way, ready to conclude our journey with the Red Ribbon Army, Todd? Oh, I am so ready. And I think we'll start with what happened last time on Instant Transmission. Bulma invited herself along with Goku to find the remaining Dragon Balls. Searching for one deep in the ocean, our heroes were attacked by General Blue in a submarine pursuit. After finding an underwater cave, Goku, Bulma, and Krillin worked to avoid trap after trap in what appeared to be the home of some long-dead pirates. The pirates did leave a robot to protect their treasure, which attacked Goku and began a cave-in due to the destruction. General Blue used this opportunity to attack Krillin and then attacking Goku in his pursuit for the Dragon Balls. Goku defeated the Red Ribbon Soldier, found the Dragon Ball in an underwater hole, and the gang escaped the cave on the back of a Kamehameha-propelled submarine. So cool. So cool. General Blue managed to survive the cave-in, and then used his psychic powers to steal the Dragon Balls from Goku at Kame House. After some Dr. Slump chase shenanigans, Goku defeated Blue again, retrieving the Dragon Balls, but the general made it out with an extra dragon radar. I think that brings us to today's episodes. Yes, that leads us right into episode 58, The Haunted Karen Holy Land. And this episode begins with Commander Red discussing with Officer Black that Goku is flying right towards Captain Yellow in pursuit of the next Dragon Ball. So already we're getting kind of the the two forces meeting once again right off the get here. Yeah, absolutely. I think we cut to a scene where we actually get to see General Blue traveling through the desert to make his way back to Red Ribbon Army headquarters. And we then kind of cut over to Captain Yellow, who has found a Dragon Ball inside of a volcano, and he's trying to figure out how to get it out. Yeah, and sticking with the Red Ribbon Army theme of not being very good people, we see Captain Yell kind of berating his his subordinates for being worthless and useless, and they're trying to bring in a helicopter to drag or grab this Dragon Ball, but it ends up angering the volcano, I think, uh, and uh, the volcano decides to erupt right then and there, and the Dragon Ball is launched from its resting site in the volcano out into the surrounding jungle. Yeah, and that's when we kind of cut over to two new characters. We learn that their names are Upa and Bora, Bora being the 
this large muscular man and Upa being his young son. And they're shown to be living in a tent at the base of what they call the guardian's tower. And they're just kind of living off the land. They're doing some fishing and we actually get to see a giant fish attack the child Upa and Bora manages to defend his son, killing the fish and acquiring their dinner for the evening. Yeah, but all this is quickly interrupted with the eruption of the volcano. And amongst the debris scattered in their direction, we find that the Dragon Ball is now in their possession. And they've never seen one, and they don't really know what it is. But they are in for a rude awakening when the Red Ribbon Army is on the heels of this Dragon Ball and immediately show up to their campsite. Yes, and the Red Ribbon Army declares that they are searching for the Dragon Ball, although Upa and Bora don't know what that is. And they say that there's plenty of work to be done and they could re easily recruit or put to work such a strong, large man as Bora. And Bora refuses. Bora is not about any of that. He tells them that they need to get out of this sacred land immediately. Yeah, and it's about this time that Bora reveals that the land that they are on, it's guarded by a guardian that lives atop a very tall tower or spire. And Bora refuses to let the land be hurt or destroyed. And so he immediately goes on the attack, trying to get rid of these invaders. And he beats the snot out of them. It's he great. really does. <laughs> yeah, it's a really fun just little scene. I mean, he's he gets shot up by a bunch of them and just kind of flexes off the bullets. And then just with kick after punch after kick, uh, he puts all of them down except for Captain Yellow, who, true to his name, runs away pretty yellow-bellied here. <laughs> yeah, he pretty much uh, abandons his team and calls into Red Ribbon Army Base saying that he can't go through with the mission. And he's told that if he doesn't come back with the Dragon Ball within an hour, he's basically done for. And so at this point, Captain Yellow, being Captain Yellow, decides to abduct Upa and use Bora's son as a bargaining chip for the Dragon Ball. Yes, and this is where our stories collide, where Goku comes in looking for the Dragon Ball on Nimbus, and he sees Upa in danger, and he is able to help dispatch Captain Yellow, saving Upa and returning Upa to his father, Bora. I do like that Goku needed like a full minute to recognize the Red Ribbon Army symbol before he realized it, that was a bad guy. <laughs> He's not the brightest crayon in the box. but He uh, got there, though. Yeah. He got there. Eventually. <laughs> and I, I feel like that's pretty much most of what happens here. Does that pretty much take us to the next one? We do have, um, at this point, we are hinted towards a mercenary Tao that the Red Ribbon Army is going to hire. And he has just arrived at Commander Red's base. And at the same time, General Blue has returned to the Red Ribbon Army base. 
And so we've got these two characters, one we know, one we don't really know, both kind of showing up at the same time. That's right. I forgot they do show up at the tail end of that episode, and we're going to get a little bit more with them moving forward. We also know that the Dragon Ball that Bora has is the four-star Dragon Ball that Goku has been pursuing, and he is ecstatic to finally find his grandpa's Dragon Ball. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think that pretty much carries us forward to the next one. Is that right? It does, which brings us into episode 59. He's here, the world's greatest hitman, uh, Tao Pai Pai. Pai Pai, yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> no one it. ever said his last name, I don't think, so that caught me off guard. No, I think that's, uh, I think they call him Tao Pai Pai in the, I, mean, I think that's his Japanese name. It might even translate into mercenary Tao. That's amazing. But we do get mercenary Tao talking with Commander Red and kind of not really showing Commander Red the respect that he's used to seeing. And in fact, he's charging Commander Red 10 billion zenny ahead. But Actually, no, he's a nice guy, and there's a special rate right now, and it's 50% off. Yeah, you know, only 5 billion zenny per head. So no big deal. <laughs> so what a good guy. But uh, it's worth it. Anything's worth it for Commander Red to get those Dragon Balls. So he does agree to the deal, but at the same time, he wants to see uh, Mercenary Tao's capability. And so we get a show-off between General Blue and Mercenary Tao. General Blue is tasked with taking down the Mercenary in order to reclaim his honor and rejoin the Red Ribbon Army. Yeah. That's th so this is interesting because we just got to see General Blue in the last set of episodes easily dispatch Krillin and fight on almost even footing with Goku. Uh, not quite as powerful, but has some gimmicky abilities that get him pretty close. So General Blue is now being our yardstick here to measure how powerful Mercenary Tau is. And it's not even freaking close. <laughs> yeah, it's and right away. Tau is even kind of arrogant about the whole thing. He says that he's going to defeat General Blue only using his tongue, not one hand, not a foot, his tongue, which is just ridiculous. And I love it. I'm pretty sure Tao keeps his hands folded behind his back the entire fight, simply dodging all of General Blue's attacks, even shrugging off General Blue's psychic ability to stun and paralyze people's bodies. And after dodging another frantic flurry from General Blue, Tao leaps in with a counter-strike, sticking his tongue out like a spear, and piercing through the skull of General Blue on the side, uh, dispatching him with a single blow of the tongue. <laughs> uh, the taste of victory. <laughs> but it, I mean, it's if they're trying to show that Tao is somebody you should take seriously, I mean, I guess they did a good job of it because being able to beat an opponent who we just recently see nearly take our heroes down this guy's the real deal and even amongst the red ribbon army soldiers and uh commanding staff they all i guess regard him as somebody who they don't want to mess with i believe when they call in general tau um officer black even mentions 
like he feels bad for Goku that they're going to this length. Yeah, yeah, they through the narrative and through the dialogue, they they almost go overboard. They they go very much out of their way to express how powerful, how scary, how dangerous Tao is, which is good. And using General Blue as that kind of yardstick for measuring his power, it's brilliant. Like Tao didn't even have to try to defeat Blue, so mm. we're really and getting. That. I think I think the only thing I'm a little upset with is I was looking forward to maybe getting a little bit more General Blue. But uh, we can move on. We've seen everything that Blue can do, so I'm okay with it. Yeah, that's fair. He already survived a cave-in that was kind of like WTF. <laughs> but this is my favorite part of Mercenary Tao, is he walks outside with Commander Red, and they're saying, all right, Goku's in this direction. We'll get a plane for you. We'll get you out there in no time. And Mercenary, Mercenary Tao says, no, that's going to take too long. I'm going to travel by pillar. Yeah. And so he pulls a pillar off one of the buildings that they're on, hurls it through the air, and then jumps on it and starts riding through the air on this just flying pillar. It's amazing. I love this, too. This is fantastic. He's He basically asks them, can I borrow this? Pointing to the pillar, uses two precision strikes to perfectly cut this giant pillar out of its place holding up this building and just launches it and leaps on top of it and also throws it with absolute precision oh the form the form in that man is he's worth every zenny <laughs> yeah so this is super cool i think even in one of the more recent dragon ball games in the dragon ball z kakarot game you can actually get as i think downloadable content the pillar as a way of traveling through the game which i thought was super cool oh my god that's amazing i mean my thing is is it, it's funny because the world just feels so much more alive and creative when flight isn't a thing, when getting places is now something you have to consider. Yeah, yeah. Dragon Ball really does, especially after watching Super, Dragon Ball in particular does a very good job of fleshing out the world. And we, I mean, we only, we're only on Earth, right? We're not going through the cosmos or even going through multiple universes. So I think it, has a much smaller scale to work with, which makes the world feel more fleshed out. Oh yeah. And there's not a lack of environments either. It's where we've gone to mushroom forests and deserts and bottom of the ocean and ice mountains. And we've, we've gone to all these cool places. We've been inside D and D dungeons. It's there's yeah. everything's there. It's amazing. Yeah. It, it really does have kind of the adventure aspect. I mean, nailed perfectly it's really well done in that respect but I after am. we get our sweet uh pillar writing scene we do cut back to bora and goku and the legend of corn's tower is being revealed to goku and the legend goes that the tower will give a man who can climb the tower unaided um, a chance to meet the guardian and the guardian will offer them a cold glass of water that will increase their power greatly. And of course, Goku is totally up to this challenge. Yeah, he's on board, which is interesting. I want to talk about that a little bit more later too, but I think that basically brings us to mercenary Tao arriving here as, you know, the in style in style uh, i mean yeah absolutely <laughs> on the pillar pillar mm -hmm. landing in the sacred land of corin 
but Mercenary Tao is here for the Dragon Balls, and he's not here to mess around. Uh, but Bora is the one who stands up to Mercenary Tao, saying that this is his fight to fight the mercenary. Yeah, and there's a big stat or stature difference between um, uh, Tao and Bora. Bora being this six foot eight giant burly man, and uh, Tao is, I mean, average height ish and kind of average build, and he's just absolutely towered over by Bora's just bulking muscles and everything. And right away, we see a colossal strength difference between these two combatants. Yeah, right off the bat, Bora brings his spear to bear, and Tao quickly moves forward, grabbing the spear, and Bora can't move it. Tao's holding on to it, even goes so far as to hold on to it with simply two fingers, and Bora, with all of his muscles and all of his strength, can't budge the spear. And this, again, it's another great yardstick to measure measure Tao's power against, because we just watched Bora beat the snot out of the other Red Ribbon soldiers and not give any shits about being shot with guns. So we know he's not a slouch by any means. I mean, I will say any character that can have bullets bounce off of them so far has been a pretty strong character. Yeah, that's kind of the measuring stick in Dragon Ball <laughs> at the moment. Mm -hmm. But this takes a pretty quick, dark turn at this point where kind of overpowered and outmatched. We see... Bora kind of knocked back and knocked up into the air. And at this point, Tao kind of taunts him and grabs Bora's spear and hurls it up into the air and actually impales Bora, who falls to the ground lifeless. Yeah. And I mean, this is not only a big tone shift, but this is also a moment where we get to see Goku fail because... Goku stood aside, kind of honoring the honoring Bora's claim to take up this fight. And we get to see as Goku realizes what's happening, as Goku realizes that Bora is in some serious trouble, he darts forward trying to help Bora, trying to respond in time, and he's too slow. He he doesn't get there in time before Tao launches the spear and murders this large behemoth of a man. And we've seen Goku be upset previously, and we've seen Goku get mad, but at this point, I think Goku is pissed, and I don't think there's any other better way to describe it. Goku is very upset, and he his eyes are locked on Tao, and he's looking to, at the very least, get even at this point. Yeah, this is... I mean, this is great. I love this. This, this is... I mean, for those of us who have watched Dragon Ball Z, we've seen Goku fight in anger many, many, many times to avenge his friends. I think in Dragon Ball, this is maybe the, quite possibly the first time. I know he, I mean, there were times when he fought, you know, in Aider's stead or for Aider, basically, but Aider never got killed. Aider never got really even hurt. He got kind of treated poorly. And so Goku defended him. But I feel like this is a very different situation. It is. It's it's the first time Goku has kind of gotten to know somebody and watch them 
I guess, pass right before his eyes and also partially due to his maybe his own failings, or at least he, maybe he would look at it that way. Right. He might feel that responsibility. But I think that takes us right into the next episode, which is episode 60, the match Kamehameha versus Dodonpa. Yeah, the Dodon Pa or the Dodon Ray <laughs> in the dub, as they call it. Okay, that, yep, Dodon Ray, which I like because I can say that. <laughs> and so this basically starts us off with Goku versus Mercenary Tao. And this is pretty fun to watch. I, I enjoyed this. There is a little bit of repeating animation in here, but some of the sequences are are a blast as Goku starts the fight off by kicking at Tao, who easily dodges and then counter kicks Goku. Uh, but the fun thing here is that while Goku gets clobbered in this first exchange, Goku attempts the same kick learning from his mistakes though. Tao even saying like, Ugh, amateur as Tao tries to kick Goku the same exact way and Goku dodges this kick. So it's a pretty cool little sequence at the very beginning. I thought it was, I think it started out with a couple of good scenes, but I really was bothered by the repeating scenes in this one because there were several. I can forgive a couple, but they, it could have been better, especially because they, they've been building up Tao this whole time. And I was kind of expecting something a little bit more special. We do eventually get it, but we don't really get it here, I feel. Yeah, I can't really argue with you there, especially because I'm in my mind, I'm kind of comparing this to goku versus jackie chun in the tournament because that fight had so many cool moments and i think it had maybe one or two sequences of repeating animation but everything felt new and fresh and unique and mm -hmm. so this fight is fun but it doesn't feel quite that level of quality yeah i agree i will say though that after goku's kind of knocked down and beaten back he decides to launch his Kamehameha wave. And I rate every Kamehameha wave. This mm -hmm. one, pretty good. Pretty good. Not, yeah. not, not amazing, but pretty good. They, you know, all the animation looks good. There's flashing lights and stuff like that. And they, when he launches the Kamehameha wave, it's almost like time slows down for just a second to appreciate that. And I really like that when they do that. I liked that too. And yeah, I, I agree. It, this one definitely felt solid to me. I I also just want to point out, I right before the Kamehameha, we get, there's just the, the fighting, the exchanges with some of the repeating animation, but there's a couple of standout sequences, one of which being where Tao is just dancing away from Goku and dodging the attacks. And then he whips his hair with his braid coming down and slapping Goku in the face with the braid, knocking him into the ground, which I thought was super cool. Just a really cool choreographed moment. And I mean, it's Goku has done things like that with his tail when he's kind of dancing on his opponents and stuff like that. So it's kind of fun and interesting to see it happen to Goku. A nice little parallel there. Absolutely. And then there's one other moment here, too, that I liked where Goku is attacking Tao's feet. I think he's not only trying to avoid the hair whip, but I think he's also trying to just get at Tao's feet because Tao is easily dancing around Goku and just avoiding his attacks. And then Tao at one point raises his knee and Goku kind of belatedly scurries away from it. So I thought this was just a really cool way of showing that Goku is obviously a skilled fighter, 
but he's clearly outclassed as he recognized that he was in danger, but it was just too slow, even though Tao did not follow through with the attack. So well, too slow and he didn't know what to do, right? It's the yeah. inexperience. I know this is an attack. I don't know what attack this is, though, so I'm getting out of dodge. Yeah, so while I agree with you, I, there are, I don't like the repeating animations. I thought there were some cool standout details in the fight still. I think you're right, and I will give them full points on um, intent with the fight to kind of show the the class difference between these two fighters. I yeah. I think they did a good job of making it clear, and um, at no point during the fight did Goku ever really have the upper hand, right? Goku was pretty much down and out the entire thing. No, I think his Kamehameha was about the the best foot that he put forward, and even that destroyed Tao's clothes. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, so after launching the Kamehameha wave, Tao was impacted dead on by the the, the key blast. But after the, the dust kind of settles, Tao is fine, but his clothes are ripped to shreds, and he's very upset that his custom clothing was blown up. <laughs> yeah, I like that that is... His concern here, he does not seem concerned that he just got blasted with a wave of key, but he immediately responds with a key blast of his own, the Dodon Ray or the Dodon Pa in the Japanese. I thought this was excellent, excellently executed. It looked fantastic. It also caught me off guard because I did not expect him to do that. You didn't expect him to fire off his own key blast? Right, because how many other people have used key blast up to this point? It's very rare in, in Dragon Ball, at least at this point, to see anyone use key blast. Honestly, I'm trying to think. I mean, is we've seen the Kamehameha. We saw Chi Chi's helmet laser, which I don't know that that was really key or just an item thing. Uh, we've seen some weird, like, electricity from the robot and the one monster Goku fought. Um, Started. At the top of the tower. Yeah, Boo, Boo Han or something. I don't remember what it was called. Boo something. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we we haven't really seen very much key energy. Um, unless you want to count Master Roshi using it a couple times. But outside of that, there's really not a whole lot. And so when Tao takes the blast and there's kind of this pause and then just whips out his finger and then fires that death ray. Very frieza S, right? That kind of pinpoint shot right back at Goku. It just, it really caught me off guard. And I was like, oh, snap. I was like, that was good. Then uh, full points, you guys got me. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And it, it happens quick too. And I mean, in relation to what you said with it kind of seeming like a Frieza death ray almost, he shoots Goku right in the chest, right in the heart, honestly. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, he does. Yep. And so, I mean, Goku at this point is down and out. He He's unconscious. It even, I think, shows his eyes where they have no color in them. And so Tao believes at this point that he has killed Goku. And he grabs Goku's backpack with the Dragon Balls and takes his pillar and leaves. Yeah, except... He's not leaving to go back to Commander Red and deliver the Dragon Balls. He's um going to some town to uh well get new clothes. <laughs> I love this. I love that. I just love 
the humor in Dragon Ball, where it's just many of the characters have silly, petty desires. And this mercenary, this powerful assassin, he cares very much about his image. And I love that. I, oh well, well, we'll get to Commander Red and his intentions with the Dragon Balls, but it's <laughs> it's a running theme. And at at first, I thought it was kind of silly, but at this point, because they're consistent with it, it kind of makes me laugh every time it pops up when you see this just extreme pettiness. Yeah, it's the more you watch of the original Dragon Ball, it feels very much like what I would call Dragon Ball humor, which is why when it pops up in like Z or Super or even GT, I kind of get a little chuckle that they are kind of paying that homage back to the OG series. Well, it's fun, right? And that's kind of the the theme of this whole, I mean, Dragon Ball, especially up till this point, it's just, it's trying to have fun. It's trying to take you on an adventure, make you laugh and have fun and just... All right, mercenary Tao just fired a Dodon ray and killed Goku, and now he's going clothes shopping. <laughs> yeah, I love the the tone shifts are wild, and I think I mentioned to you that this set of episodes, in particular, in my opinion, is one of the bigger tone shifts in Dragon Ball. Uh, I mean, we start off this set of episodes with someone getting murdered, uh, and not somebody i mean it's a new character to us but it is somebody that goku clearly cares about so it's it's a significant death i would say well and we've seen quite a few either nameless lackeys or we've seen a couple um villains get killed or monsters or whatever but this is the first time we've seen somebody who is i think just universally good get killed we've seen a good person die and that's kind of a big deal. It's not just for the baddies at this point. It's coming for everybody. Right. And I, I like that shift. So we basically move forward with, we find that after Tao leaves, Upa ends up burying his father, Bora, and then he begins to bury Goku. And at this point, we find out from the Red Ribbon Army side of things that one of the Dragon Balls was left behind. So Tao only retrieved three of the four Dragon Balls that were in that location. And so they send another soldier to go check on Goku's supposed dead body and find this additional Dragon Ball. And this soldier arrives seeing the Dragon Ball, uh, which seems like it was where the Dodon Ray hit Goku in the chest. And as the soldier goes to reach out to retrieve it, Goku grabs the sho- the soldier by the wrist. Yeah, we kind of get this Goku springing back to life, way out of it and mumbling just nonsense. But Goku is alive. And it's at this point we see the Red Ribbon Army soldiers panic and try and get out of there. And he's trying to radio back into the command. But uh, Goku ends up uh, blowing up his ship before he can get the message out there. But at this point, the Red Ribbon Army knows that something's not right. That maybe uh, Tao didn't finish the job. And so we we know that the villains are aware of the possible loose end they may have left. Right. And so this basically takes us to Goku 
saying, realizing that he might be able to do something for Upa and for his father, Bora, as he kind of gazes at the Dragon Ball, he says, oh, you know, if I get all the Dragon Balls, I might be able to wish Bora back to life. And he says, though, I mean, he's going to have to go through the Red Ribbon Army to get these Dragon Balls. So he thinks, what can I do to get stronger to beat this mercenary Tao? I would also like to bring up that this is the first time in this show I've heard someone bring up a wish that is not completely petty, selfish, short-sighted, all the above. This is the first time the Dragon Balls might, the intention might be to use them for good. And <laughs> just want to go ahead and give Goku a golf clap at this point because he is not exactly surrounded by role models. No. And I mean, even Goku, he originally was just searching for the Dragon Balls simply because he wanted the four-star ball. But now he's like, oh, now I have a reason to collect all of them and actually use the Dragon Balls to make a wish. Yeah, and it it is okay. So I'm going to uh, split hairs on this one, but it does feel like a really nice and noble wish, but it feels like such a large event to happen when we've been collecting Dragon Balls for so long to wish back somebody who we just met. And I, I wouldn't mind if, if it was a more important character. So that way I would have more like, like buy into Goku getting those Dragon Balls and getting that person back to life. I barely know Bora. He's a nice guy, but I mean, I don't know, kill Krillin or something. I mean, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm at least happy that Goku's trying to do the right thing. But yeah. to do the right thing, you're right, Goku needs to get stronger. And so... Goku decides that he needs to get stronger immediately to take on Mercenary Tao. And so he figures the best way to do it is to climb uh, the Korin Tower and meet the Guardian at the top and drink the empowering water. And so he gets his little knapsack together and up the tower he goes. Yeah, and I think for me, uh, as far as the dragon balls and the wish here goes obviously they're using this as a story beat for why goku would continue searching for the dragon balls right it's it's obviously written into the story that way and i i get what you mean about it it would feel more important or more impactful to us as the audience if it were krillin or balma or roshi or whomever i think the 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 buy-in for the audience here is that Upa, this young child is left without a father. And I think that that's kind of the sticking point where it's like, well, you know, is Bora that important? Not necessarily, but Bora is a father to this young child who is now left alone in the wilderness. And that's kind of like the, the buy-in for me, I guess. Something that Goku can relate to. Yeah. I think he even says something like that, or or maybe I'm making that up. But yeah, no, he there's... does. He 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 thinks. I don't know where it's at, but he does think to himself like he's left alone, just like I was. And so that's something that definitely does strike Goku. Yeah, and that's a good point that there is that parallel between them. So that's probably also where the buy-in is for Goku as well. 
But I believe that leads us into episode 61, uh, Karen-sama of Karen Tower. Yeah, and so, I mean, Karen, Corin, the dub calls him Corin, so we'll probably refer to him I'm as I'm going to keep going with Corin, but the spelling is Karen, so that's that's what you get. Yeah, I think I think they I think they pronounce it Karin or something like that, but we're gonna call him Karin. Oh, that sounds because... way better than Karen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least he doesn't have the Karen haircut, so Oh geez. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, since we're watching the dub, we're going to refer to him as Corin. Okay, good. Um so anyway, uh Goku continues his climb up Corin Tower, and after a whole day of climbing, he basically takes like a nap and he's hungry and he's tired and it's just it's taken every ounce of energy but after a full day of climbing he finally makes it up to the top of corn tower and what he finds is in well nobody's up there except a room full of um looks like almost like a storage room with a couch in there there's barrels and jugs full of stuff and goku thinks well you know I'm here, that water's got to be here. And so he starts investigating these barrels. Yeah, and he basically sees inside of these barrels these images of his friends, of them in the present, him with Chi-Chi in the past. And then the last one that he opens... Is Centipede. Yeah. Uh, this is interesting. He basically gets attacked by a giant centipede creature. and as we're about to find out this represents his future, but he also then as he gets attacked, sees these images flashing before his eyes of his friends and the dragon balls. And one of the last things that he sees is an old woman on a crystal ball wearing what looks kind of like a witch's outfit. And then a masked rabbit fighter. And so these, I mean, for those who have seen Dragon Ball, you know what's coming, but these are, this is an interesting way to kind of foreshadow some of the future characters that Goku is going to meet. Yeah, I thought it was, I, I thought it was tastefully done. I kind of like how they add a little bit of mysticism into here, especially considering where Goku's at. Yeah, I very much agree. And this all of this about the past, present, and future is revealed to us by a voice coming from Goku in the tower as it tells him to make his way up to the next floor. And so Goku follows the direction of the voice and makes his way up to meet Corin, the white cat. Yes, and as somebody who, you know watched dbz but never watched dragon ball i was kind of excited to see corn and it also makes corn make a lot more sense existing in dbz i'm like oh okay that's how he and goku met and where he ties in okay and i don't know it was just a lot of fun seeing a character who i've known for decades but at this point now i can put a a place to the face this is kind of a funny thing, because as we're going through Dragon Ball, we're seeing all of these cool new characters being presented to the audience, presented to Goku, and many of them are, are teachers to Goku. I mean, we get Master Roshi, we get Korin, we're going to get some more moving forward. 
And the funny part is that, especially in Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Super, many of these characters have become obsolete as Goku has far surpassed them and no longer needs their tutelage. And I think the writers, Akira Toriyama and the guys at Toei Animation as well, don't really know what to do with some of these older characters. <laughs> especially since like every every jump seems to get a little bit bigger. At first, it's just calming down and just, you know, um, focusing or training harder and just getting stronger. And then it's just learning the Kamehameha wave, your first key technique, or even finding the Nimbus. It's all these little things that start, you know, they seem small, but in Dragon Ball, it's actually huge. But every step that you make, the next one almost feels like it needs to be a larger step. So that way it's more meaningful. And after hundreds of episodes of this, I can only imagine that. It, it's just going to get out of hand. I don't think there's any other direction for it to go. No. And I, I, I think we're seeing that with modern Dragon Ball, which is fine in some ways, but it's fun to go back and see where it all started. And so we kind of get Corrin as we're going to find is a master of martial arts himself, but he basically tells Goku that the sacred water is here. Uh, and he, Korin is kind of questioning Goku as to why he wants the sacred water. And Goku says that he's going to use it to help his friends. And then Korin tells Goku to stop talking and reads his mind. That which... freaking cat can read minds that for some reason, I didn't know that. So that blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Now this is cool. He Korin even goes so far as to say, uh, Goku's pure mind is very easy to read and this is how Korin finds out about Upa and Bora's death and that Goku needs to get stronger to beat Mercenary Tao and I just want to make a quick note I think we've mentioned this in one other instance before but this could potentially be a source for where Goku learns how to read people's minds in the one time that he does it with God, Krillin I... <laughs> on Namek. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> it could be like a funny little nod uh, to that. It, well, I mean, you know, this basically being a, the source of where Goku got it and Goku doing it on Namek being a nod to this. But I mean, I... how many times has Goku seen something once and then was able to do it? So I'm, there's credibility there. Yeah, 100%. But I, I like that this is here, if only for that little tiny, very thin thread of connection. <laughs> <laughs> There's an argument. Yeah. Goku's seen it, which means that Goku can do it. Yeah, basically. Oh, geez. But uh, going back to forgetting about uh, Goku reading minds in the future. Um, <laughs> but once again, this is another, another layer of mysticism that it adds. It's this... this cat who can read minds and lives atop a tower and is um yeah just kind of awesome i don't know i think horn's awesome at this point i'm very impressed by the guardian and he's super fun and he's almost kind of edgy he's almost kind of taunting the way he talks to goku where he's he's i don't know he's almost like challenging goku with every statement that he makes like he's trying to poke and prod and and figure out the real goku and get him to do stuff or I, I don't know there's just some sort of temperament he has with goku 
maybe I'm reading too much into it, and Toriyama just wrote him to be kind of like a cat who's a little bit of a jerk. He's a little bit of a sassy asshole, right? Like, yeah, he's, he's kind of fun in that way. Like, I like him in that way, but he's definitely kind of pushing Goku's buttons right off the bat. And Corrin eventually says, well, the sacred water's right over there. It's on that pedestal. And it's in this fancy, elaborate bottle. And Corrin's like, yeah, go for it. Have a drink. And Goku basically attempts to grab the water. And then Corrin shoves his staff right up Goku's butt and <laughs> knocks him away from the water. Yeah, and Goku is, of course, perturbed. Like, hey, why did you do that? And so Corrin's like, mm, nah, go, go ahead. Have the water. Go ahead. And so once again, when Goku tries to drink from it, corn gets in the way and so at this point it's um pretty clear that if goku wants to drink this water he's going to have to get it from corn and from here we get this kind of crazy goku chases cat scene where corn is just easily dancing around goku and just having fun with him yeah and this is interesting i mean we know already how powerful goku is and I mean, Corrin's just better all around. This is kind of what we're finding out as Corrin is is now apparently a martial arts master. And Corrin even is giving Goku advice throughout this chase sequence. He says, you're reacting to me. Learn to anticipate your opponent's actions, which is I like this a lot because this is this is kind of the building blocks, the foundation of the lessons learned as Goku learned to become a martial arts master. Yeah. And I, I like this too, because it's Goku's being trained without him really knowing it. Oh, Goku's yeah. been kind of enroped into this and it's, you're getting life lessons from, I mean, I don't know where Corrin has learned all of his martial arts stuff from, but Hey, it's pretty cool. He's the, the spirit guardian at the top of the tower or whatever. Right. And Goku eventually asks, after chasing Korn around for the entire day, he asks, if any has anyone retrieved the sacred water from Korin after climbing the tower? And Korin reveals that there was one person 300 years ago and he believes that it was Goku's teacher. And he reveals that judging by the way Goku moves, his teacher is Roshi. Yeah. And I think right around that time, too, Goku also asks, how old are you, Korin? And Korin reveals that he is 800 years old. And... Master Roshi is over 300 years old at this point. And that's kind of a mind blow. But the the next question that Goku asks is, how long did it take Roshi to retrieve the water from you? And Korn holds up three fingers and Goku says, wow, three minutes, that's impressive. And Korn says, no, three years it took Master Roshi to retrieve the water from Korn. And at that point, it's just, almost like a dagger to Goku's gut. He's like, I don't have time for that. I'm getting this water immediately. Yeah. I mean, Goku doesn't want Upa to live out in the wild for three years while Goku's up here training with a cat. Like he wants to get those dragon balls and get Upa, his father back as quickly as he can. 
And so I, I thought that was a cool tie-in though, with Roshi being the first one to go up to that tower. And it was kind of unexpected too. I was just like, whoa, that's a kind of a badass reveal. Yeah, I like this. I like this because it I mean it basically and this is kind of the trend for Goku, right? Where Goku leaps from master to master to master to master. And he went from Gohan, Grandpa Gohan, who trained with Roshi, to Roshi, who trained with Korin, and now to Korin. And so he's just basically going to like the master of my master of my master. (laughs) Keeps going up the scale. Yeah. And I think. You know, I was expecting when he started to do that reveal that he was going to say it was Grandpa Gohan. I was kind of expecting that. So it definitely caught me off guard when he said Roshi. Yeah. Yeah. Grandpa Gohan would have been another good reveal. But I mean, Roshi is a cool one because it's also the first time that we find out that Roshi is 300 plus years old, which is kind of crazy. Like, what does that mean? Yeah, that's weird. I don't think most people live to 300 years old. So uh, what's going on there, huh? Yeah, yeah, he's got some something up his sleeve. <laughs> but I do believe that leads us into the next episode, which is episode 62. Really? The effects of the super holy water? And we start off with Goku just being determined to get that water in short order as he continues to try and steal it or take it from Korin, even breaking out the after image technique which Corrin easily sees through. And I love the afterimage technique, and I'm so glad Goku is abusing it. The afterimage technique will never not be cool to me. <laughs> and it's really cool because Corrin even goes so far as to use the afterimage to trick Goku's afterimages. And it's, it's a really cool scene. I really like this. It's a lot of fun. And Goku keeps wanting to try to get the the super water or the holy water, but hunger does eventually catch up to him. And so we get corn and Goku kind of going down to the lower area where all the pots and stuff are. And Goku kind of lays down and takes a nap as corn says, well, I haven't eaten in five years. And so he starts preparing this big dinner that Goku awakens to. And then corn eats all by himself right in front of Goku And all Goku gets is a bean. And this is the reveal of the Sensu bean. As Korin says, just eat it. You'll be full for 10 days if you do so. And Goku is not convinced, but he eats the bean. And we basically get this visual of his stomach filling and him just being satisfied. And... This is interesting to me, though, because at least in the English dub, all they say about the bean is that it'll keep you full for 10 days. There's no mention of the healing properties of the sensu bean. So I'm really curious if this is something just in the dub, if this is a reveal that they planned later, or if they just added the healing factor to the sensu bean (laughs) after the fact. Actually, yeah, I didn't even think about that. It's it does raise a lot of questions, right? Because we we've seen what the sensu bean can do later on down the line, and it can basically take someone on death's door and restore them back to full health, full powerful everything. And so, if this bean can do that, but right now it's just being used to 
fill a empty tum tum, then then I don't know. I've got some questions, and maybe it's revealed, like you said, maybe it's a reveal that's coming later on down the line in Dragon Ball. Um, but right now, like you said, at least in the English dub, all we know is that this bean fills the tum tum. Yeah, and so. This basically gives Goku the gas he needs to continue chasing after the sacred water. And so it does, however, stop. Well, Korin decides to stop the chase as he takes Goku's Dragon Ball and chucks it off the side of the tower. (laughs) Yes. And Goku is, of course, very upset and just leaps down to the spire leading up to the the lookout i guess or not the lookout corn's uh digs yeah we're not at the lookout yet <laughs> not not yet um and goku is frantically running down the tower to try and get to the bottom to find the dragon honestly i laughed because that is such a goku move it took him a whole day to go up that tower but the dragon ball was thrown off so he's gonna run down the tower And he does, by the way, run down the tower, (laughs) quickly finds the Dragon Ball and starts running back up the tower. It cracked me the hell up. It's pretty excellent. He I mean, he does so quickly, too. And he even does so so fast that Corrin is shocked by it. Corrin says that it took him only three hours round trip, which we saw it take more than a day for him to do it the first time up the tower and so i mean maybe honestly maybe there is something even just right here to show that the sensu bean did something for goku and that he basically got that zenkai boost from well what we now know to be his saiyan heritage but i don't know it it, maybe it's just uh them showing that corin's training is doing its due diligence on goku's body as well i mean i think it's a little bit of a couple different things right it's it's good proper training and hard work it's magical properties and magical things kind of at play here and it i mean what we we know that um goku being an alien has been thought of since gosh early probably the beginning with the uh the catch that you had on the um What's the Arnold Schwarzenegger character called? <laughs> Metallotron or sort yeah. of metallic or something like that. When Metallotron had that scan, and that was a good catch on your part of Goku, um, it said up in the corner in little words, um, like origin alien. Yeah, I I was dying when I saw that. I was like, what? Really? Is that like, I don't know. I, I'm curious if that is what it meant, if they intended for him to be like, oh, he's a Saiyan. He's from outer space, but. I mean, I it's, that was cool. It's too, it's too big of a coincidence for me to not believe it. Yeah, it, it feels that way, right? It seems strange. Uh, I mean, unless it was just meant to be a, like a silly Dragon Ball joke, but it could be. I don't know. I'm, I like the idea of it being true, so I'm going to believe it. I, it's my head cannon now. So, <laughs> but at this point, Goku is still unable to take the water from Korin. And so when they lay down to rest for the night, Goku decides to focus on learning to read Korin's breath, just kind of like how Korin had advised him to do, to read his breath and trying to anticipate him. And we get this kind of funny scene of Goku mimicking Korin in the night, 
where Korn would reach his cat paw up and do cat things on his head. Goku was doing the same thing. When Korn would turn in the bed, Goku would turn and face the same way. And Goku started kind of getting his head in Korn's body sort of thing. And this was Goku's way of doing that. I like this a lot because Korin, it takes Goku the better part of a day to even for this advice that Korin gives him to even click because Korin says, know my thoughts by reading my breath. And Goku's like, what the fuck does that mean? And then Goku looks into one of these water barrels again, and he he's able to see Bulma in the present with Roshi and Launch and I think Krillin. And they're doing some sort of like yoga or Pilates class. And Balma's trying to show them how to go through the motions. And she's like, no, 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 your timing's all off. And then they all kind of synchronize as they're copying Balma's movements. And this allows the advice that Korin gave Goku to kind of click in his head where he understands it. And that's what causes him to just copy all of Korin's movements all through the night and leading into the next morning. Yeah, and we get the what looks like a another just typical face-off between Korin and Goku at this point. But Korin's kind of caught off guard. Goku's actually kind of getting closer than he was the previous day. And we see another after-image technique. But this time, it kind of gets the better of Korin. And with some clever tickling, Goku mm. is able to take the water from Korin. So what Master Roshi took three years to do, Goku's done in three days. That's a mind blow right there. That's huge, right? Like, and I mean, we don't know what Roshi's progress was like. He was 300 years younger, so maybe he was much, much weaker and hadn't learned as much. But well, they, I guess, to kind of read into the future a little bit, because I don't want to forget about this point. Um, Later on, we do get um, a little memory of Roshi climbing Korin's tower. And Roshi was a full-fledged adult. True. That's true. He was much older than Goku, right? Which is an important point. Uh, so I think that Goku is doing things at such a young age that most martial artists would never do in their lives. And even some martial arts masters struggled to do. So at this point, we we are really getting a strong barometer of where Goku is on his journey to, well, wherever he's going. Yeah, absolutely. And at this point, having retrieved the sacred water from Korin, Korin gives the go-ahead to Goku for him to drink it. And drink it, he does. And after consuming the entire bottle, Goku says, I don't feel any different. And I think Korn even sarcastically says, well, most people don't. <laughs> yeah. That's natural after drinking tap water. <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of at this point that, you know, Korn points out that you've been getting better this whole time with all the climbing and the um, the effort you went through to try and take this from me and the learning that you've gone through. You've already gotten stronger. The The power increase was not the... The prize at the end, it was the journey, more or less. Yeah, which this is fun. I mean, it's kind of a wholesome little lesson, but it's it's showing. I mean, it's basically showing that hard work trumps shortcuts, right? And I mean, it, I like it. I like this lesson. I like the idea 
that Goku had to put in the effort and just work hard to get stronger, get faster, get smarter. And and I do like that there's some attention to detail that comes back later with the all the climbing and all the effort that Goku put in to drink the tap water that caused that power increase. I like that that this comes back into play pretty soon again, and I really like this tie-in. Yeah, I did. I think basically this episode wraps up more or less with that, and then us getting a quick shot of Tao with his new outfit ready now that the three days have passed for the tailor. And Tao kills the tailor and gets his outfit. Yes, it's very Um, important. That tailor asked to be paid for what he did, and that's just way out of line. Yeah, I mean, not 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 what Tao wants anyway. But <laughs> but at the I, same time, we get Goku uh, heading down the tower. And so we kind of have a, a collision course between Mercenary Tao and Goku once more as Mercenary Tao gets ready to head back off to collect the final Dragon Ball from Goku's quote unquote body. Yeah, so I briefly want to talk a little bit about Goku here and his motivations because in my mind I'm comparing this instance of Goku getting stronger to the instance where he gets the Super Saiyan God power up in both Dragon Ball Super and in the Battle of Gods movie and I think particularly in the Battle of Gods movie Goku is upset that he got the the god power up and it wasn't something that he earned and so this instance as i'm kind of thinking it out now this might even be one of the instances where he learned that lesson where he initially was like yeah give me the sacred water like it'll make me stronger i want it give it to me but Corin basically said, you know, there's there's no shortcuts. If you want to get stronger, you put the hard work and the effort into it. And that's how you succeed in life. And so I, I, at first I was thinking this was kind of like a weird contradiction in Goku's character because he just wanted the shortcut. But maybe this is the moment in his life where he learns that lesson. And that's why he acts the way he does when he gets the Super Saiyan God power up. I didn't even think about that. And I think that's a great point. And it, I mean, Goku's entire childhood his actually his whole life. Everything has been about that hard work to the next big moment. Right. But this is one of those moments where the, the, the quick power up um, was like there, he was thinking about it. it was on his mind. But he was taught that that's not a way to solve your problems. And so you're right. When he gets that power up from uh, the Super Saiyan God ritual, ritual. Um, I think that plays right into this. And Korin is definitely going to be one of those characters that had a big influence on, on Goku when he was young. And he's going to carry that those lessons with him throughout the rest of his life. If anything, I almost wish they would have made a reference to that in super or something like that, kind of that call back. Cause that would have been just a fantastic. And the, the whole time with super, they were trying to reference dragon ball and draw those connections, but this would have been a very good one and a meaningful one. God. Yeah. That would have been really cool. Even if they had like a 15 second flashback of Corin just show like giving him the sacred water and then saying like, 
no, you you got stronger on your own by climbing the tower, chasing after me. All of that was you and your hard work. That would have been a really cool moment and a really cool flashback. It could have been a lot of fun. And I don't know. I it's I think um I think after rewatching Dragon Ball, I might even have to watch Super one more time to really appreciate what maybe they did well that maybe I'm overlooking at this point because they definitely had original Dragon Ball on the mind. And the yeah. stuff that I diff- didn't like stands out, of course, because it feels way out of place. But you don't, I guess at this point, I don't know if maybe there was some subtlety that maybe I did overlook that I'm not giving Super some credit for. Yeah, there are definitely some good nods and references. There's one in particular that they did. Uh, I think that we might have overlooked when we recorded the episodes, but we haven't gotten to it in Dragon Ball yet. It's basically a reference to something with Grandpa Gohan, though, and when Goku meets Frieza in uh, in Baba's location. It, it's pretty cool. I'll talk about it when we get to the Grandpa <laughs> Gohan part in Dragon Ball more. Oh, geez. There's a lot more Dragon Ball for us to go through, though. Not, yeah. not just this tonight's episode, but just in general. What, we're not even halfway through yet? We're getting close. We're a little bit more than a third of the way through. There we go. But I think that leads us into episode 63, which is Son Goku's counterattack. And we get Tao arriving in style once again at the base of Korin's tower, finding Appa on his own. Tao grabs Appa and starts demanding the location of the Dragon Ball and then actually grabs this child who is literally twice the size of his hand and just hurls him towards Korin's tower, but is saved from impact just in time by Goku. You, you got to like a dramatic entry. I mean, yeah, you, it's a lot of fun to have those here. And this is Goku again showing up in the nick of time on Nimbus to save Upa. And this leads us into our round two fight with Tao versus Goku. And Tao starts the fight off with some smack talk saying, all I need is three seconds to kill you. And we're going to see that that is quickly not the case. Yes. Um, As soon as the battle begins, Goku is able to land a blow on mercenary Tao, knocking him into the air. And then Goku leaps up and knocks mercenary Tao into the uh, base of Korn's tower. These are some hefty blows. And it's the first time we've seen anyone hit Tao up to this point. Yeah, I think the only attack that Goku landed on Tao at all in the previous fight was his Kamehameha. And even that was partially blocked and largely ineffective. So so at this point, I would like to issue a correction. Um, the first fight with Mercenary Tao and Goku, I said they reused a bunch of animations. I think I was thinking of this fight. Oh, you're right. <laughs> they they used some when Goku was like reaching at uh, Tao's feet and stuff. Uh, I think that that was probably the worst offender in the first fight. But this one has a lot more repeated animations. I you're definitely right. need to make that correction because I actually have the note here now that says this fight has so many reused animations. So this is what I was thinking of when I was thinking of the earlier fight. The earlier fight is better than I was giving it credit for. 
this is the one that I really want to point out and say that this is a very poorly animated episode, which is unfortunate. That makes more sense to me because I actually felt like that first fight had some pretty cool standout moments, most of which were the the ones that I brought up. But this one definitely has some repeating animations. I think, I mean, some of the worst offenders show up three or four times. I'm pretty sure it's bad. It's it's one of those ones where you notice it used a second time. It's like, all right, whatever. But at the third time, it's I'm not really cutting you any slack for using the same animation three times in an episode. It's. I'm sorry. All bets are off. I do have to knock Dragon Ball on this episode. And it should have been an awesome fight. But instead, we get a lot of reused animations. And you can tell that they had, what was it? There's like a running kick that I believe either Goku or Tao does. And they reuse it, I think, four times. And the first couple, I think two or three times, it's just the running part of it. And then they play a little bit further where they get to the kick point afterwards. And it's just uh, so just, oh, I noticed it. I didn't make notes about it in that detail or that level of detail, but it was definitely obvious to me. And I was I was cringing a little bit because honestly, though, because I it might be my own problem because I keep comparing everything in my head to the Goku versus Roshi fight, which was just so spectacular. Good. So freaking good. Oh yeah. So when they, when the quality has now started to dip on some of the big fights, I'm a little bit disappointed. Yeah. And like I said, uh, correction, the previous fight with Tao, very good. This fight with Tao, very bad. I did not enjoy watching this fight. Unfortunately. Yeah, I don't blame you. I, I'm going to touch on a few of the, the points here in the fight where, I mean, like you said, Goku kicks Tao into the tower and Goku also reveals to Tao that he climbed the tower and drank the water, which Tao believes that that's why he's so much stronger. But we also get Goku stopping a key blast with his hands, which is really cool. We get... Uh, Tao unleashing his Dodon Ray and Goku actually stops it. Mind you, his hands were look like sunburnt afterwards. But Goku actually stopped a key blast with his hands convincingly. And I thought that was a, a really important point to touch on because this is one, one of those things that sets the foundation for things way later on down the line. Yeah, this is cool. This is not something that we've seen. I Honestly, the closest thing that we've seen is Tao doing the cross block to block the, the Kamehameha, but I feel like this is more significant. Goku damn near stopped the entire Key Blast, just kind of hurting his hands a little bit. But Yeah, it's not, it's not just, you know, like, I guess just taking the attack, right? Like, that's what I kind of view the cross block is, is I'm just going to just let it hit me and then hopefully I'll be all right on the other side. Goku controls the blast and stops it, which is just freaking awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. It's a cool moment. And Goku even goes so far as to tell Tao that his Dodon Ray won't hurt him anymore. And at that point, Tao is kind of running out of options. So he decides to pull out a capsule which releases a sword and Tao begins swinging and attacking at Goku, Goku dodging the sword. This I thought 
it was something a little bit weird or interesting to me about this sword, at least in the dub with the sound effects, because the sword itself looks like a, a big scimitar, a big metal scimitar or something like that. However, when the sword is being swung, it both looks and sounds like a, I mean, it sounds like a damn lightsaber. To be honest. <laughs> I thought the same thing. I was just like, is this an energy sword? What is, is this a technique? What is this? I was wondering, and I was like, I made a note. I was like, maybe Tao's infusing the sword with his key, but they don't really tell you anything about that. It just felt a little bit weird. You know, sometimes it's just rule of cool. It's like, you know what? Hold on. This sword isn't cool enough. Just how about some ener- lightsaber? Star Wars came out not long ago, right? Lightsabers. We're into that. I mean, shit, man. Uh, lightsabers are never not cool. So <laughs> I'll give him a pass. I mean, I thought it was fun. And at this point, it's it's. Tao kind of being desperate, right? And something that I don't think he's probably used to. And so I think he even mentions that he it's kind of absurd that he has to go to these measures with just a boy. Yeah, he's he's pretty frustrated about that. I think it's really hurting his ego here. And Upa seeing Goku kind of in trouble with the sword that Tao is using at this point. Upa runs into his tent and grabs the power pole that Goku left at the base of the tower when he got defeated by Tao the first time. And so Upa, in very Star Wars R2-D2 form, (laughs) launches the weapon to Goku. And in a single strike, Goku snaps the sword that Tao is using with his power pole. Yeah, and at this point, Tao is kind of running out of options. So he thinks to himself, well, if this boy was able to gain this much power just from drinking the water at the top of the tower, imagine how strong I'd be if I drank that water. And so we see Tao kind of break from the fight and retreat, I guess, up yeah. the, up Corrin's tower. With the plan to go reach the top and drink this superpower water. I think an important minor detail here is that Tao uses a rock, kicking it past Goku at Upa, and uses that as the distraction to run up the tower. Goku spending that moment to tackle Upa to safety, uh, but Tao is full on ready to murder that child a second time. <laughs> But yes, so using the child as a bait, I guess, or as a distraction, he is now heading up the tower to drink these what he perceives as super water, as the rest of us know is just tap water. Yeah, and I think that pretty much leads us into the next episode. We do have one little hint of something that might be relevant in the future, and that is Balma is working on some sort of machine to follow Goku around and see what he's been up to. That's right. I forgot about that. But yeah, that will come up later. And I think that takes us to episode 64. 64, the end of Tao Pai Pai. Mercenary Tao. And we get um, kind of, a, um, I guess, a down scene where Goku and uh, Upa are kind of eating and resting and just, you know waiting for Mercenary Tao to more or less come back down from Korin's tower. And really, they don't have to wait too long. Tao makes it up the tower fairly quickly. And 
as he gets to the top, he's greeted by Corin, who Tao then demands that Corin give him the sacred water. And Corin tells Tao to look at the wall as he prepares the water. Oh, God. <laughs> and uh, Corin, being a sassy asshole, fills a cup with tap water picks his nose, sticks a booger in it, and then spits in it. <laughs> uh, don't piss off the chef. Everyone knows that. Yeah. It's, I mean, this is pretty gross, but it's also like, Tao has it coming. <laughs> <laughs> so, Corn hands over the holy water, but mm -hmm. before Tao drinks this holy water, he fires his Dodon Ray at one of the pillars up at Corn's digs. The ray hits the pillar, and it's made out of godstone or something like that, so there's no damage done to it. And at this point, Tao says, If I drink this water, and, I don't, and I'm not stronger, I'm not strong enough to hurt that pillar, then I'm taking it out and... No, he's grabbing a large vase of water or something, a large, heavy thing, and he's going to hurl it out the window... And crush Upa. <laughs> Man, I wrote down the line that Corin says in response because I was dying at his delivery. And he basically says, That's a pretty that's pretty weird and disgusting idea, big guy. <laughs> and it was I don't know why. I just thought that was hilarious, just the way he responded to it. In my head, I'm just like, if you drop it, how do you know he's still going to be there like 30 seconds from now when it finally hits? It's a big-ass tower, man. Yeah, oh my god. But I did think that was kind of funny. But we do get um, Tao drinking the water and then shooting another Dodon Ray at the uh, pillar. But obviously, as we all know, Tao isn't actually stronger, but Corrin's able to do some, I don't know, weird guardian magic stuff to cause the pillar to kind of crack and crumble. And this is the evidence that Tao needs to be convinced that the water has had its effect. Yeah. And so believing himself to be super powered with the sacred water... Corin provides Tao with a black cloud, which is very reminiscent of Nimbus, but in a black instead of a yellowish white color. And so apparently evil assholes like Tao are able to ride on it. <laughs> they get their own jerk Nimbuses. <laughs> well, it is appropriately a jerk cloud because Corin then after Tao rides halfway down the tower, drops Tao through the cloud and on his ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I, I don't know why that cracked me up so hard, but it just watching a very serious villain just plummet into the ground like that just made me laugh. Yeah. I, it, it's funny, right? Because it, in some ways you want the villains to be treated with respect so that they are scary and intimidating, but this is getting to the point where Tao is no longer scary and intimidating because Goku is the stronger of the two. So it's kind of fun to see Tao get his comeuppance in a way. <laughs> so, yes, if anything, this should be a um, uh, this should bring him back down to Earth. But no, Tao is so up in his own head. He still thinks that he's super powered 
and he's ready to face off against Goku once more. And the fight kind of breaks out pretty quick. And we see Tao landing blows left and right on Goku, knocking him into the air and even raining down just a, a powerful knee attack on Goku that looks like it would kill pretty much anybody. And for a moment, we see Goku's kind of lifeless body lying in a crater. Yeah, and so Tao believes that he's dispatched Goku this time, thinking that he is super powerful. But after a few moments, Goku hops back up, brushes himself off, and seems not much worse for wear, also claiming that Tao is almost as strong as Goku now. We, I thought was a little nice little dig. I know it's it's I mean, hit the ego. That's where it hurts the villains the most. Right. Yeah. But we do get Goku revealing that he's been using this time to study Tao's breathing while he's been kind of kicking his face in. And so at this point, Goku reveals that he studied Tao's moves. And I like that we see the training that Goku had just learned and now he's putting it into effect. Could it have been better? absolutely just letting your opponent beat the tar out of you so that way you can learn their techniques there's probably a better way to go about doing that but it's baby steps and goku goku is showing the i guess the first step of that training yeah i like this i like that they i mean goku goes through training goku learns something new learns a new technique and then goku applies that technique against this powerful opponent so this is stuff that doesn't always happen in Dragon Ball Z or Dragon Ball Super. So I, I like this, you know, get beat, learn something new, apply it, succeed. I like that process that we're going through with Goku. And I mean, it's the same idea as with him learning the Kamehameha wave. The I mean, the first time he tried the Kamehameha wave, he did do it, but it was just barely enough to knock over a car, whereas Master Roshi can knock over a mountain. Yeah. Yeah, so he had a a long ways to go in terms of getting on the level that Master Roshi was at. But, but what we see now is Goku is ready to go on the offensive. And this is a very brief offensive. Goku lights Jet or Mercenary Tao up with just a flurry of blows. And Tao is very quickly pushed back and all but defeated and cornered at this point. This is great. I One thing that I like about this exchange in this episode, too, is that when Tao is beating on Goku, there's a shot of the kind of the back of Goku's head and Tao in the background, uh, seeing Tao's front. Tao just pummeling Goku's face, going to town on him. A really cool parallel is that we basically get to see that same shot in reverse in the second half of the fight, where Goku leaps it on top of Tao and just punches him as if he were a punching bag and it's it's just a cool parallel of like showing those two shots back to back almost oh it's so good and it's tau is basically defeated at this point kind of cowering and he decides to do the one thing that you would not expect him to do and that is apologize to goku and asking for forgiveness and yeah it's it once again and this causes Goku to drop his guard, a theme that is universal across all of Dragon Ball with Goku. It is the oldest Goku story in the book. 
I mean, this is like, I mean, let's talk about the Cell Saga. Anybody who's <laughs> read the manga recently, we'll talk about the manga. Like, this never stops being a thing for Goku. So, <laughs> so during this momentary um, loss of focus, Tao uses this as a trance to tr try and throw a grenade at Goku, which I love it. Grenades are still relevant nowadays. Um, and yeah. yeah, kind of thinking quick. Goku is able to kick the grenade back at Mercenary Tal while he jumps away. And we see a fiery explosion blowing up Mercenary Tal. As far as we can tell, Tal's bye-bye. Like, he's toast. I also really enjoyed, for some reason, the fact that when the explosion went off, there was literal words that went bakoom across the screen. <laughs> It's got to be uh, manga DNA, right? Like they drag probably some of that stuff in just to make it feel even more Dragon Ball for the people who had read it. Yeah, absolutely. Like it, it's absolutely unnecessary when you've got animation and audio. <laughs> but for some reason, I loved it. I loved that it had this very comic book feel to it. Oh, geez. But at this point, we say farewell to Mercenary Tao. And with Tao defeated goku is now determined to make good on his promise to bring upa's father back to life and what we know right now is that the red ribbon army headquarters is going to be goku's next destination right goku sees the two dragon balls on the radar and he kind of assumes that that's probably the red ribbon army since they've been trying to collect the dragon balls throughout this entire endeavor and I think with Goku headed to the Red Ribbon Army HQ, that takes us to the next episode. Which is episode 65, Go Goku, The Assault Begins. And this one has a nice shot of Commander Red just having a nice relaxing day at the golf course. Everything's going great. He's thinking he's got General, or not General, Mercenary Tao coming back any moment with all of his Dragon Balls. And he even gets a phone call that another one of the Dragon Balls has been recovered. So at this point, between Goku and the Red Ribbon Army, we have six of these seven Dragon Balls accounted for. Right. And we as the audience even get to see this Dragon Ball being recovered as another Red Ribbon soldier, Colonel Violet, recovers the Dragon Ball by sacrificing a few of her men to some sort of alligator creature, she freaking uh, kicks them off the boat. They are just <laughs> chum. Oh my God, she's ruthless. Yeah, and I think that that's a common theme with Red Ribbon soldiers where we've seen that from General Blue. We've seen that from the other generals and soldiers. And Colonel Violet is no different. She is willing to sacrifice as many people as it takes to get whatever is important to her. And we I quickly mean, find out. I mean, Blue killed a guy for missing torpedo shots. I think he killed another guy for picking his nose. He did, but <laughs> I would do that as well. So that's acceptable. I mean, that guy had it coming. <laughs> it's disgusting. Get out of here. <laughs> but we, we do get to see Colonel Violet returning to Commander Red with the Dragon Ball. And we find out what's important to Colonel Violet. Money. Money. And it's so good. I just, I love, I, I don't know. 
how necessarily like Violet is as a character, but I love that she exists because she just adds more depth or flavor to the world. That's and that's a good point because yeah, she's we could have the story without her and we would not really miss anything, but she she's a interesting flavorful character for the world for sure. Yeah, and it's just it's more it, it's more flavor to the Red Ribbon Army. It's letting you know that it's right. not just the generals, it's the colonels. It's, you know, it's all the way down to the core that these people are backstabbing, like, horrible people. They do not want you to feel bad for them. Yeah, yeah. We're definitely putting a line in the sand saying, okay, good guys over here, bad guys over there. And so it's, there's... There's not a lot of moral gray area when it comes to Goku versus the Red Ribbon Army. We do get a shot at around this point of Bulma finishing her Goku tracking slash filming robot. And we, at this point, just, I guess that's what they've been working on. Um, I guess it comes into play later, but yeah. So the robot's done. And we're back to Goku continuing his travels on the Nimbus Cloud, heading straight towards the Red Ribbon Army main base. And at this point, General Red assumes that the Dragon Balls he's tracking towards his base are Mercenary Tao returning from his mission. So right now, his guard is down. He's thinking a paycheck is coming. Yeah, and that's important because Balma sends her plane to find Goku and it does so, but they believe, Balma and Roshi and the others believe that Goku is headed towards the Red Ribbon Army. So Balma sends her plane ahead of Goku to see, hey, you know, is is the Red Ribbon Army HQ out here? Is that where he's headed? And it does, however, get picked up by the Red Ribbon Army's sensors. And we get a a few minute action scene with the plane trying to evade the defenses of the red ribbon army. But Balma is very clearly aware once her plane is destroyed. Uh, she, she does get a good shot of the base itself and she knows exactly where Goku's headed. Yeah. And realizing the danger, she decides to uh, contact Yamcha and kind of get Team Kame House together, so that way that they can go and help Goku and not leave him to face the Red Ribbon Army on his own. So at this point, this is kind of the gang getting back together, or at least the beginnings of it, which I love. I love a getting a gang back together moment. Yeah, we'll see exactly how significant that is in a little bit here. But really, this this episode is... I would almost say this episode is pretty thin on content. I, I feel like we kind of wrap up the episode as the announcer gives us a monologue about Goku's courage and accomplishments against the Red Ribbon Army. And I love this. I actually really enjoyed this, uh, even though it felt a little bit unnecessary. It has. I like the announcer's voice. I like the Japanese music that they had going on in the background. And it also gives us these scenes that we haven't seen before of the Red Ribbon Army and all the destruction that they've caused. And it it's a it's kind of a fun, like a fun moment before we get to the true action. It's reminding you of the stakes too, right? It's reminding you of the the 
good that Goku could do if he were to defeat the Red Ribbon Army and also the destructive power of the foe he's about to face. It does both at once. And I think I think it's artfully done. And I don't think it's something that overstays its welcome. It's a fairly brief scene, but it definitely does add a little extra flavor to it. And you're right. I, I didn't actually take the time to appreciate it as much as I should have. But you're right. I do think it's it's a nice little touch. Yeah, I think it's something that you could easily overlook, but I kind of enjoyed it. It, it gave me like a, a good feeling moving into the next episode. Which is episode 66, the Red Ribbon Army's Desperate Offensive Defensive. And yeah, we start right off with Yamcha, Roshi, Balma, Launch, Par, Oolong, and Turtle uh, all <laughs> hopping aboard a plane and heading towards Goku's location as he heads towards the Red Ribbon Army. But they note that they are missing one member of their crew, Krillin, who had decided to swim across the ocean so he could go shopping. And so they need to pick him up first before they can meet up with Goku. Yeah, it's kind of a weird little detail, but they end up picking up Krillin. And at this point, because the Red Ribbon Army thinks that Tao is on his way, Commander Red tells them to shut down the defenses so that Tao can get through without causing him any trouble. But we know that Goku is coming in. So they basically are just giving Goku a clear path on his way to the HQ. Yeah, and Goku actually makes it pretty far into the Red Ribbon territory before kind of a scout plane who is going to greet Tao and guide him in sees that this is not General Tao at this point. This is Goku. And Goku, which I love that Goku does not hesitate to jump into action, whips out his power pole and just swats the plane from the sky. Yeah. And this kind of sets things in motion where now the Red Ribbon Army knows that it's Goku present and they fire off all their defenses, rockets, <laughs> guns, missiles, anything that they can throw at Goku. They try to do so. Yeah, and Goku's diving and weaving and missiles are just narrowly missing him. And he's basically doing everything he can to not get hit. But eventually he does make it to, I guess, the compound itself where the building and the base and towers are all standing. And there's a small fleet of aerial vehicles waiting for for Goku. And Goku once again leaps right into action, dashing by, knocking planes from the sky. This is awesome. He he basically easily dispatches these planes with his power pole and Nimbus, and then makes his way into the compound itself to now take on the soldiers, the foot soldiers of the Red Ribbon Army, many of them bearing guns and other weapons and Goku's being, I mean, he's being shot. He's dodging bullets. At one point, he dodges a rocket that explodes behind him with just a really cool action shot of him being like, you missed me. Can, can I, I say that the pacing of these events is excellent? It feels oh, yeah. like by the time you've just dodged, uh, pun intended, one bullet, the next one's on its way. And just it just rolls really nicely. I was glued to my seat for this just because it was it was exciting. This is similar to uh, when we were talking about Muscle Tower for me a little bit, except on a larger scale, because we've already gotten our big one-on-one -on -one fight with Goku versus Mercenary Tao. Now this is Goku against 
dozens, hundreds of soldiers who really are pretty ineffectual against this <laughs> child, which is just fantastic to watch. I mean, it's like one of those old action movies, right? It's like with Rambo or something like that, where it's just like the hero just kicking ass. And that's all this. It's junk food, but it's oh, my yeah. favorite kind of junk food. And just I this might be one of my favorite episodes in Dragon Ball. Just from a pure action point of view, it is so fun. I very much agree with you. And Goku, as he's going through the compound here, he's using the dragon radar to track down the leader, or he assumes so, as the leader would probably have his hands on those dragon balls. And we do cut to a scene where Balma and the gang are basically avoiding a heat-seeking missile that gets fired at them. And Balma manages to get them to launch their booster on the plane that they're riding uh, away from them, which basically the rocket then trails the booster and hits that instead of their plane, which, you know, quick thinking on Balma's part. I, I do like that they take like the time every now and then to remind you that, hey, Balma's like really freaking smart and offers stuff to the team. Like, don't forget about her. And this is one of those moments where she had quick thinking. She looked at the the missile and she figured out like, all right, I think I know how it works. Blah, blah, blah. Let's try this. All right, cool. Right. No big deal. Just saved everyone's skin. I I will continue to say throughout all of our podcasts, I love Balma. And I think I love Balma because in a universe where pretty much every other woman is either relegated to mother or completely insignificant, Balma continues to be relevant even through Dragon Ball Super. So I think she's fantastic and she's continues to be so here. And she's I mean, I like her comical side as well as her serious side. She does both sides of the coin pretty well. Yeah, yeah, I very much agree. And we kind of cut over here to Colonel Violet. We get to see that she's stealing, just filling her pockets with money as the soldiers are like, oh, this kid's attacking the compound. We need your help. She's like, nah, man, I've got other things to do. <laughs> She's like, can't all of you strong, burly men take care of them? I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't blame her if freaking, I don't know, some monster child is blowing stuff up and defeating the army. I'm grabbing my cash and getting the heck out too. Like, <laughs> props to her. She made the smart decision. Yeah, if hundreds of men with guns and tanks and rocket launchers can't take down this child, I don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> if anything, she's the smartest soldier in the Red Ribbon Army because she knows that loyalty doesn't mean jack anything in this army. Oh, yeah, <laughs> right? absolutely. She's like, we're we're all terrible people, a part of a terrible army. I, I know where I'm at. I know the stakes here. And if it's me and putting my life in the line, nah, I'm not doing that. Yeah, yeah, I don't blame her one bit. And we kind of cut back to Goku and the destruction that he's causing inside the headquarters. We get to see him fire off a Kamehameha that takes out several soldiers and even damages the headquarters building. Oh, so and many explosions. It's beautiful. Oh, everybody loves explosions. And then we kind of cut over to Officer Black as he's telling Commander Red to evacuate. But Commander Red is just saying, no, my army is invincible. There's no way a child 
could defeat my invincible army. <laughs> yeah, his his arrogance is definitely on full display at this point. And I mean, even with half, I believe he says half the army is defeated, right? Yeah. And yeah, so absolutely. at this point, Officer Black is telling him, like, we've got a safe house we can get you to. We can get you out of here. And the other thing we know is that Goku is following the dragon radar and Commander Red is sitting in this tower with the two other Dragon Balls. So right now, he is on a crash course with Goku. Yeah, and one little detail as Goku's running through here that I just thought was, I mean, cool and comical. Like I just enjoyed it. Basically, there's a soldier who has a sniper rifle. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Shoots Goku right in the face. And Goku just turns. He's like, ow, you should watch where you're pointing that thing. <laughs> uh, can you imagine shooting somebody and having them look back at you and be like, that's annoying. Stop. And a child of all things. He's like 13 or 14 years old here. You're like, holy crap. <laughs> I mean, I do like that the soldier kind of like, like sits down and kind of like holds his gun back. Like he's just a child who just got yelled at for firing the BB gun in the house. Like yeah. it's hilarious. It's like, what am I doing with my life right now? <laughs> <laughs> but I do believe that's, that leads us into episode 67. Commander red dies. Wonder what happens this episode. Is that the name <laughs> of the episode? Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> Redo Susui Shisu. For those of you who speak, well, my interpretation of Japanese. <laughs> but yes, uh, Goku continues his rampage, swatting soldiers aside like flies, getting ever closer to the two Dragon Balls and Commander Red. However, the room Red resides in is actually reinforced and seems impenetrable at this point, or at least the uh, the floor of the room is. Yeah, at the very least, Goku can't use his head to smash through it for once. He also doesn't know what an elevator is, so he can't enter the room through that. I mean, he'd have to use a button for that. <laughs> but during the chaos of Goku more or less destroying the Red Ribbon Army, we do get Violet taking the opportunity to help herself to the Red Ribbon Army's safe full of fortunes. And we also see at this point that the remaining red ribbon army soldiers are on retreat so commander red no longer has an army nor his fortunes yeah this is a big deal officer black is trying to tell commander red like hey you know you've got the most important part you've got the dragon balls but things are falling apart for the red ribbon army and all because of this child who is destroying everything that commander red has worked for and Goku, well, actually, Commander Red decides that he is going to flee. And he orders Officer Black to stay here and fight Goku. And Officer Black doesn't seem too keen on this idea, but he's willing to comply as Goku breaks into the room through the window. Yeah, and with Commander Red kind of out of the room at this point, Officer Black takes off his, his coat and gets ready to do battle with Goku. And Goku even gives Black 
a couple chances to surrender, saying, like, I don't want to fight you. We don't have to do this. But Black has orders. And so he's committed to this fight. And it seems like Officer Black is actually not a bad combatant, but he is nowhere near the level of Goku. I actually, this is a brief fight between them at, initially, but I love this sequence. It, it's Black basically starts the fight off by kicking a chair at Goku. Goku leaps over it. Black tries to kick Goku in the air and Goku just barely manages to sprawl out and dodge away from the kick. And then Goku lands atop a table, which Black then kicks out from underneath Goku. Goku jumps up into the air spinning and Black punches at Goku that Goku then turns around using a cup from the table to block Black's punch. It's super good choreography. There's no repeated animations. I love it. It Honestly, this probably takes maybe 30 seconds but it's a really fun watch and there's a lot of these actually kind of sprinkled through dragon ball where if if you're not paying attention you could blink and miss like a few seconds of great choreography it's it's not like in dbz where it's blurred fists punching for 10 episodes it's we're gonna have a fight and it's gonna be brief and i mean yeah i appreciate it for what is what it is it's it's its own style and i do really appreciate that about it yeah, it feels like it feels more like grounded, realistic martial arts, if a bit over the top. But it's it's really fun to watch. And at the end of the exchange, Goku hits Black to the point where he basically falls out of the window. And that is the moment or, it, well, Commander Red, not really knowing that Commander Red uses a contraption that takes the metal ceiling and drops it down to the floor, attempting to crush Goku as well as Officer Black. Yeah, and we get this brief moment where Commander Red thinks that he's finally defeated Goku and he's talking about his ambition and and how he's going to rebuild the the army and also what he's going to use the dragon balls for. And that is, he wants to be taller. (laughs) (sighs) So I just want to talk briefly because we somewhat recently watched the dragon ball, super Broly movie where Frieza wanted to use the dragon balls for something similar. Oh geez. Yeah. So I know you didn't really like that about the Super Broly movie, but to me, it very much felt like a hearkening back to the original Dragon Ball, which is why (laughs) I really loved it. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It is. It is definitely a Dragon Ball move. And at this point, Commander Red is the biggest villain we've had so far in Dragon Ball. So, yeah, I I mean, it fits. Yeah, they've spent... God, they've spent more than 30 episodes on the Red Ribbon Army, and it's all been at the behest of Commander Red. So here's the thing that actually caught me off guard is because we kind of have this silly moment of figuring out what silly petty wish that Commander Red is going to make. But this is where Officer Black comes back into the room who he had been hanging out by the window and overheard all this. And he's upset. He's upset at the betrayal of his commander who was going to just throw him away. He's also upset that 
these Dragon Balls that so many people were sacrificing themselves for, they're going to be used on this petty, meaningless, meaningless wish that does not progress the Red Ribbon Army. And so we have, uh, I guess, an enraged Officer Black kind of coming down on Commander Red, who at this point is just gone. He's lost. And so we see a scene where Officer Black actually shoots Commander Red straight through the head, killing him and leaving his lifeless body on the floor. This is this is brutal. And I I like this exchange, especially for the little bit of dialogue that Black and Red have here, because Commander Red full on insults Officer Black, saying that he's just a lackey and he should be ashamed of himself for being in such a position at his age. And Black doesn't put up with it. He, I mean, he puts a bullet through Red's skull and this is great. This is, again, in terms of tone, this has shifted wildly from the tone that we had at the very beginning of Dragon Ball. And I'm here for it. I love the serious tone. I love the the much more, I mean, moving towards much more adult themes that we're getting in Dragon Ball at this point. Yeah, and I mean, the, the Red Ribbon Army, we've seen kind of, characters being killed but a lot of it has kind of been off scene or just out of shot or there was an explosion explosions yeah and this is the first time we like we basically watched it happen on screen it's kind of brutal and it definitely kind of woke me up a little bit i guess watching it where like all right like that that one gunshot just changed the tone going forward like we can't go back at this point because you just i just saw this happen on screen and so everything's a little bit different now. Yeah. While while we don't necessarily see, you know, Red laying in a pile of his blood, they do show the hole through his skull. The which smoking is... hole in his skull. It's like, yeah. Oof. Yeah, that's a big deal. And, and it's at around this point that we see Goku arriving back on scene, obviously not crushed because you can't crush Goku. And we see Officer Black trying to plead with Goku and spin a tale about how he never wanted to hurt Goku and that they should actually work together. And you see just this kind of this stream of lies coming out of Officer Black to try and get Goku to work with him and hand over the Dragon Balls and all these other things. And he even tells Goku that Commander Red isn't dead. He's just sleeping. I love this. I I mean... Officer Black is a pretty smart guy, so he has a fair idea of what it would take to manipulate Goku, or at least he thinks he does. But Goku isn't buying it. Goku, at this point, believes that pretty much all of the Red Ribbon Army soldiers are essentially evil. And so Goku says, I think you just want my Dragon Balls because Black says, hey, you know, we'll work together. We'll collect the Dragon Balls and we can, you know, use them together. And Goku's like, no, you can only make one wish on the Dragon Balls. That doesn't make any sense. And Black even goes so far as to say, oh, Commander Red's just a big fan of dragons. He just, <laughs> wants, right. he to... Does say that. <laughs> he just wants to see the dragon. He doesn't really care about the wish. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so funny. And it's. You know, I like that he's trying to 
I guess, outsmart Goku and play a different game than maybe Red was playing. But like you said, Goku's not buying it. And at this point, Officer Black is kind of out of options. And so he kind of has his one last, like, final bullet in the chamber. And he reveals a dino cap that has this colossal battle robot inside of it. And he jumps inside of it. And you can tell this thing is powerful. One strike of it knocks Goku tumbling into the wall. Oh, my God. I love BattleBots. <laughs> I figured you would like this. And this this robot design, too, is something that at this point has become iconic in terms of Dragon Ball and in terms of Dragon Ball tech and robots and stuff. I mean, you see this in all the video games and whatnot. It's a really cool design, in my opinion. And we even get to see it using lasers coming out of its forearms that like melt the floor that Goku has to dodge. And eventually, Black is able to grab Goku and chuck him through the wall out of the building. And, I mean, Goku seems like he's getting beat up on here for a moment. But eventually, the robot begins to charge what seems to be... uh, gets ready to fire a cannon of some kind at Goku. And that pretty much is where we stop here with our hero yeah and that runs us right into episode 68 as our battle continues with the the last dragon ball and we do get a brief shot at the start of this one of i'm just calling them team kame house at this point Hmm. uh continuing their journey to the red ribbon army compound and goku is continuing his struggle against uh officer black's battle bot and we see the big laser being charged up and then eventually fired at Goku, blasting a big crater in the ground and leaving a puff of smoke that once it disappears, everyone thinks that Goku is gone. Yeah. And black believes that he's won the day for the red ribbon army. He even goes so far as to say that, He's going to be the new ruler of the army as well as use the Dragon Balls to rule the world. So a little bit more ambitious than Commander Red. I that, think. That's a proper villain wish right there. This guy, he should have been in charge from the beginning. Let's be real. I mean, he's got some real goals for the army. So, <laughs> uh, But we very quickly find out that Goku had slipped away from this attack. And during all the gloating and showboating or... I guess, self-congratulating, Goku leaps onto the battle bot of Officer Black and sort of taunts Officer Black, sticking his tongue out, kind of being a kid or a child. And Officer Black kind of lifts the robot's big fisted arm and attempts to punch Goku. But we get the typical punching yourself in the head right through the cockpit, kind of jack-jawing Officer Black's head to the side. Stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. Exactly. The child, as long as Goku's a kid, I love the childlike tactics. I think it's hilarious. Yeah, I agree. It feels very fitting. And so Black at this point is, I mean, he's running out of options again, but he thinks he's got one more thing up his sleeve or on his back in this case, as he leans forward with what is nothing other than a giant rocket or missile on his back. It's the Boba Fett missile. 
Yeah, it, that's <laughs> the perfect way to describe it. Uh, but he fires it out at Goku, and Goku kicks the rocket back at Black, kind of hurting his foot and leg. I enjoyed that so. they took the time to point that out, where it's just like, ow, that freaking missile hurt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the missile does, fortunately for Black, miss him, but launches past him and blows up a mountain behind him. <laughs> I think they even had like the mushroom cloud effect to it. Like that was a hell of an explosion. Yeah. Yeah. This was like, uh, I mean, this was a very last ditch effort. I think black was ready to murder any additional soldiers who were still in the compound at this point. <laughs> yeah. So at this point, officer black realizes that he's pretty much outclassed here. And with his final Trump card thwarted, He's going to flee. He's going to get the hell out of Dodge. And so he turns his his big robot butt around and starts trying to fly away. But Goku's not having any of that. And Goku begins to pursue Officer Black. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's not much of a pursuit. Goku basically launches himself at the robot through the robot. And the robot explodes as black is trying to find some way to eject himself out of this thing. <laughs> but as far as we could tell, black is probably dead. Yeah. I think, um, and I think with that, the, I guess the tendrils of the red ribbon army, as far as I know, have been pretty much defeated, destroyed, killed, or all of the above. It's all the generals are gone. Commander Red's gone, and now with the end of Officer Black, I believe this signals the full defeat of the Red Ribbon Army. Yeah, at least in its current iteration. And Goku, at this point, basically tries to use the radar one more time so that he can find these two Dragon Balls he's been looking for. And he finds that, once again, the radar is not working which I'll be honest, this this plot device is getting a little bit tiresome because th this is probably the I don't is know the third time third time I can't I remember I think it's a third time right because it, well it happened on um, Goofy Island and then yeah. it happened uh, with uh, Ader yeah remember they had to go to the doctor to remove the bomb but also Goku needed the dragon radar fixed um, and now it's happened with um, uh, red ribbon army base so this is the third i mean admittedly i'm willing to say this is the second time really because the um the doctor was it lump slump slump yeah. the doctor slump stuff i don't even consider that like that's all just its own little thing i'll throw that out but it's happened twice now so my i'm keeping an eye on it yeah it's it feels like it's happened a lot in quick succession uh so it's it's just feeling a little bit tiresome to me i guess but so if they put it to bed at this point i'll overlook it but if it happens again i'm not overlooking it i'm definitely going to go heavy on that because we can find a different reason i get that it's a plot device but you can come up you guys have come up with tons of other plot devices that were let not very convincing but you still did it come on <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i agree but this basically culminates in Goku flying away from the Red Ribbon Army headquarters and our Team Kame house seeing him flying away. So they kind of wave and call him down. And as such, Goku is able to 
tell them the tale of how he single-handedly defeated the Red Ribbon Army. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny because I think one of the mentions like, oh, gosh, I'm so glad we got you before you went and fought the Red Ribbon Army. Because that, that would be crazy if you did that on your own. He's like, but I did. I did fight them on my own. <laughs> and it just blows everybody's mind. And one thing I do like a lot here is after Goku reveals that, Goku mentions that he had scaled Korin's tower and we get a little bit of Roshi's kind of inner monologue as he he reflects on his experience with Korin and also reflects on the progress that Goku has made since he's first met him. And we kind of get this master appreciating the student kind of moment where you kind of sit back and, and think about how far Goku has come in Dragon Ball so far. I agree. I love this. I, Goku, or I'm sorry, Roshi... I think after he departs with Goku, Roshi even goes so far as to, while discussing Goku with the rest of the group, say that he believes Goku is invincible. He says that it's more likely than not that Goku is now stronger than he himself, Master Roshi, at this point. And Roshi says something to the effect of, I mean, seeing one young boy take on an entire army. If that's not the definition of invincible, I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I guess when you think about it, when you look at the progress that Goku has made in such a short amount of time, it's, I don't know. And Goku's still so young. The like, there's no ceiling, I guess is the best way to put it. If, if Goku's already surpassed what it's taken you, your whole long life to achieve I, I don't know what what else you think about if you're the master or the teacher of some sort of student like that it's you're already beyond kind of well my physical training anyway but I'm, I'm hoping we get more roshi teachings in the future more of that he's still the master of a martial art and yo goku is still very young and inexperienced i'd like i hope it we get more training between him and roshi I think the important part, especially along the lines of what you're expressing, too, is that while Goku is certainly powerful, he's almost certainly stronger, like raw power than Roshi right now. But Roshi's got hundreds of years of knowledge that, I mean, Goku could not. Goku could not get all of that, could not have all of that in 13 years, 14 years of life, no matter who he is, right? Unless he had some sort of, you know, mental power capacity or something. But yeah, Roshi's still got plenty of tricks, techniques, philosophies. I'm sure all kinds of different stuff to impart onto Goku. And I guess the thing too, look at how much Roshi had struggled fighting Goku at the World Martial Arts Tournament. And think about the big jumps that Goku has made since then. Oh, yeah. I mean, so we're seeing that progression and it is happening fast. But at the same time, that's I mean, that is the story of Goku, right, is always taking that next step and always going in that next adventure and figuring out the new enemy or the new mountainous scale or whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, this basically wraps up the episode. I think the last beat here is that Goku asked Bulma to fix the, the dragon radar. But. Well, there are. They also all decide that they're all going to help Goku find the final Dragon Ball. So this is kind of the the 
official reuniting of the party. They are all going on this last adventure together to get the final Dragon Ball. Yeah, that's a good point because that'll that'll come into play for the the next story arc. But there are a number of things that I I kind of wanted to discuss here. Uh, one of the things that you brought up, I really like getting to see the flashback with young Master Roshi. I like getting to see not only his character design as a young man, but also just getting to see him be, you know, uh, go through his training just like Goku. But also on the topic of training, I love this arc. I love this arc for so many reasons, but the training arc with Corrin is one of the reasons I enjoy it so much because we get to see Goku not only getting stronger and progressing, that's great, but we get to see him accomplish feats that are above the comprehension and abilities of a normal human. Like, I mean, the lore in itself about Korin's tower is such that they believe nobody has ever done it. And we find that only one other person has done it and it was Master Roshi. And so for Goku to, you know, climb this tower and then be knocked off the tower and climb the tower again and then get this sacred water within three days that took Roshi three years it's it's fun to see that process. It's fun to see Korin impart that wisdom. It's fun to see Goku learn a new technique, even if it's more of like a, a mental technique of like studying your opponent and then apply that. I'm here for all of that shit. That stuff is um, nom, 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 nom. I will eat that up <laughs> all day. It's great. It's it's also fantastic to see Goku have his own agency, his own urgency. It's It's fun to see him. Because up till this point, he's kind of been, you know, following Bulma to do the Dragon Ball stuff and then kind of following Roshi's training and then following kind of this, I guess, almost kind of scripted path where he's kind of being told what to do. This is the first arc where Goku's kind of gone out on his own and had his own adventures and made his own decisions. And so we see where that leads him to um, uh, Korin and he has his own ambition to go up there and do this training on his own and... Um, I do like that we get to see Goku develop a little bit more as an individual and less of, I guess, um, I'm not going to say a side character, but, but somebody who just kind of follows in the paths of others. This is kind of Goku forging his own path. And it's cool to see how it kind of lines up with the path of Master Roshi kind of on his own without any guidance or influence. Yeah, those are really good points, too. And I think if we compare Goku in this story arc to Goku in the very first story arc when Goku meets Balma, all Goku is doing is surviving. I mean, he has really no wants, no needs outside of this four-star Dragon Ball that he believes is his grandfather is important to him, and he wants to eat food. Like, mm -hmm. There's nothing much to him. He's a pretty one-dimensional character, right? He wants he wants his Dragon Ball back, and he's hungry. Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, his motivations in this arc are, I want to get that four-star Dragon Ball, but it feels like he's grown as a person. He's, he's taking, like you said, he's got his own urgency. He's taking his own kind of, life his own story his own adventure into his hands and he's he's going out and doing that by himself he doesn't need 
the catalyst of someone like Balma to get him out of his home and to go do something that he wants to do. He's he's deciding to do that of his own accord. Yeah, and I love it. It's it's definitely a big step in Goku's development and kind of growing up in general, too. So there's almost kind of some relatable elements to it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, too. And I mean, outside of that, uh, I mean, I like the training bits. I like the at least most of the fight stuff with Mercenary Tao. It has some fun bits, even if there was the the middle section that was kind of lots of repeated animation. Yeah, the the first fight was good. The last fight was amazing. And then the middle fight with Tao was not very good. I feel like Dragon Ball has a problem with doing things in threes. And (laughs) usually they should be able to get away with just doing things twice. I I think we talked about that with Dragon Ball Super where Trunks. Oh, there's a lot of times that they did that. in Super. how many times did Goku get knocked back to Earth from beers? I think that was more like four or five. (laughs) That got ridiculous. Like more, Um, more than twice. And you should probably really think about what you're doing. Yeah, it sometimes just feels like too much repetition, but and maybe honestly that that middle fight might have even been okay if they would have just given it more time, more budget, more quality animation. Um it it really wouldn't have been like a standout problem, I don't think. Well, but, I mean, I guess when they said Super was trying to recreate some of that Dragon Ball vibe, they took in all the elements. <laughs> We're going to take the good and the bad. (laughs) (laughs) But no, you're right. We've seen that even with a show that's what, like almost 40 years old now, however old it is, there are still some scenes and animations that just still knock my socks off or just look amazing to this day. So I think that's credit to what the animators are able to do when they get the time and and the budget. Yeah, that's the important part because we already talked about Dragon Ball Super not having the time uh, maybe not the budget either, but mostly the time to really put the quality into it that they needed. But I mean, watching Goku beat the snot out of a bunch of soldiers is super fun, high paced action. I'm honestly just excited to jump to the next arc and, you know, continue to see in detail and refresh my memory of what Goku is going to do next. Yeah, and for me, I don't have a ton to say after these 10 episodes. I, I love the corn training stuff. Um, I mean, just seeing corn is cool, but now we get that connection, and that, that was a lot of fun to see. And then there's just a lot of action-packed episodes, which I just sat back and enjoyed and just drank in. There's not really a whole lot for me to really deep dive into at this point that I don't think we've already discussed. So, I mean, these ep- these 10 episodes were great. I got nothing but uh compliments and and recommendation to to pay attention to this stuff because you're going to enjoy it so yeah i i'm a big fan of these 10 episodes yeah i agree i to me this is at least in the bit that we've covered so far of dragon ball these are some of my favorite episodes honestly i mean the one that i keep referencing it but the one that stands out or the couple that stand out in my head are goku versus jackie chun uh because that fight is so good oh my god it's a lot of fun yeah these ones are consistently good quality outside of the middle tau fight so yeah nothing but praise i give it a solid nine out of ten good job yeah i would i would probably give it that about that same rating too but 
I think with that, did you have anything else you wanted to discuss or does that wrap things up for tonight's topic, Dayton? Uh, no, I think, uh, I think we knocked it out of the park with this one. I'm happy. All right. Well, I think that's it then for this episode of Instant Transmission, where we discuss everything Dragon Ball. This has been your host, Todd. And Dayton. Be sure to join us next time as we take a short departure from the Dragon Ball anime to watch one of the best Dragon Ball movies of the 90s in The Path to Power. We'll follow Goku and gang through a retelling of how Goku and Bulma met, how Roshi taught Goku the Kamehameha, and how the Red Ribbon Army met their demise at the hands of a child. Why is Ader the best android? Do you prefer Balmo with blue hair or purple? What does Goku's Kamehameha look like on a 1996 movie budget? Ooh, yeah. Find out next time. And to all our fellow Dragon Ball fans, stay safe out there and remember to keep rocking the dragon. I kept my mouth clean this episode. Just saying. <laughs>